Jim talked about reading the scripture this morning during our adult Sunday, Sunday school class. Um, so please join with me if you can. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. The scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. The word of life. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, by the way. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed... Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Perry, for the reading, and thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in singing, for Marvin, for your prayer, and and for your presence today. I'm always very happy to be with you and I'm very grateful for your presence. And it's always an encouragement, encouragement to us all to be together and an encouragement to me. And, and I hope uh, that you'll be able to be back with us this evening at 6 o'clock. As you see in the graphic before you, First John chapter 1 is really our discussion and we want to talk about fellowship. And here's a book of the Bible That's a smaller sized book, but yet it's one that's seldom studied. But it deals with really an important issue, and that's this word fellowship that you see before you. And what John is saying in the very first part of this book is there's no greater relationship that we can experience than the relationship that we experience with God. And that those who have this close relationship with God and are in fellowship with God... Life is a blessing indeed. For those who do not have this relationship with God and do not have this fellowship with God, life's going to be difficult at best. It's important for us to see how we, how we should have this fellowship with God. Now, by the time John writes 1 John, it's got to be, he's got to be um, an elderly man by this time. It's in his 80s, in, in the 80s and 90s uh, A.D., and so John is a very elderly man by this time, and it's at the closing moments of the writing of the New Testament. It's been some 50 years since Jesus and John were together. Jesus, the Master, John, the disciple, and the apostle. And he's trying to tell us in this book how wonderful that relationship was. And you hear how he uses the word joy. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We had this wonderful relationship with God. And we want you to have this relationship as well. It's important that you have a proper relationship with God. To be in fellowship with God. If you are, it blesses your life and enriches your life. If you don't, life's going to be very difficult. Life's going to be very hard to understand. Very hard to figure out. In the book of 1 John, a book seldom studied, John gives us five things we need to know about this fellowship. 
And very briefly, I want to share each one of them with you. I want to mention them and explain them. I'll do my best to illustrate them and also to be very brief. The first thing he tells us is you can have it. You can have fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he tells us, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 1, verse 3. You can have this fellowship. It's made available to you. Now stop and think about that for a minute. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that your prayers are heard. You can know that you're members of a divine family. You can know that He cares for you and is concerned for you. It's a type of fellowship that we need to come to value. A lot of people don't value this fellowship with God. Now, what do we do? We're here Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. And why are we doing that? Because we're in fellowship with each other. And we're in fellowship with God. And we value this fellowship. And we look forward to the Sundays that we come together. And the Wednesday nights that we're able to assemble together and study the Word of God together. We value that because we want to be with each other. We value the fellowship. We value this relationship that we have with each other. And we make sure that we're here. And we do our very best to not allow something to interfere with those opportunities which we have to worship and study and to be together. Because we have fellowship with each other. We also have fellowship with God. What do we do? On special occasions, we'll have a fellowship meal. And we'll plan for that ahead of time. And Special preparations are made. And these wonderful deacons and their deacons' wives spend so much time putting all these matters together and all the logistics fall into place. They didn't just happen. But these fine, dedicated people are working toward that to make that happen. And it is always a, a type of experience that's very enjoyable and memorable. And we encourage each other. And we enjoy the fellowship that we have. Though fellowship is not to be limited simply to a meal that we have with each other, still it is an expression of our partnership together. We're in fellowship together. And we have this fellowship. And John is saying we can have that with God. We have a fellowship, a relationship, a partnership with God. First John is a book about fellowship. In fact, First John, Second John, Third John, all three books are about fellowship, and we seldom study them. But yet it's such an important matter. We can have it. I think about Adam and Eve in the garden long ago. God created man of the dust of the ground, planted a garden eastward into Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. Gave man dominion over all the trees. Gave man dominion over all the field, the beast of the field. He has dominion over the garden. Don't eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Man in this beautiful paradise, before sin entered into the world, is in fellowship with God. Isn't that amazing? The world was quite a different place back then from what it is now. 
Now we live in a sin-saturated world. There was a world prior to or before any sin had entered into it. And they were in perfect fellowship with God. And they would walk with God and visit with God. And they knew God. They had fellowship. And then what happened? Sin entered into the world. Through man's free choice and the devil's temptation, sin works its way into the world. And what happens to the fellowship? The fellowship's now destroyed. No longer is there full fellowship with God. God comes walking in the cool of the day, almost like a farmer or a plantation owner. And he says, Adam, where are you? They were used to this fellowship, this close relationship with each other, but now no more. And God knew that. He understood that. He's asking the question for Adam's benefit. Adam's hiding because of the problem of sin. Adam now knows he cannot be in full relationship with God, full fellowship with God, and so does God. A barrier or a wall has erected itself and destroyed the fellowship which they had in the very beginning. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. That comes to mind. We ought to mark it in our Bible. Isaiah 59, because the Old Testament Israelites were wondering about this very thing. Why isn't that God doesn't help us anymore? They were asking the question, why is it God doesn't hear us anymore? And Isaiah answers the question in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He still has His hand. He still has His power. He still has His ability to help you, but He's not helping you. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. He still has the ability, the omniscience to know and understand what you're asking and requesting of him. But he's not listening to you. And he tells them why. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's sin that destroys the fellowship. Jesus died on that cross so that... We could have fellowship with God once again and have fellowship with God here, and that fellowship leads us to heaven. John writes in John chapter 1 there is a fellowship that we have, a special relationship with God, that we are partners with God, and it's of great value. And he wants us to see how important that is. To help us with that, he says in verse 4 that we have joy because of it. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And it's very important that every person understand how important and how valuable this fellowship is because of the joy that it actually brings Not only in this life, but the joy that it will bring in the life to come for sure. He wants everyone to understand that they are important people. Every single person. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's writing so that we can understand and have the joy of this wonderful fellowship with God. Turn with me to 3 John. 
This special word joy is used in John, and he uses it again in verses 3 and 4, and it conveys the idea of the wonderful blessing we have in our relationship with God. Beloved, verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy, verse 4, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walking in the truth simply is the idea of living the Christian life. And he says this gives him great joy to know that those who hear the Word of God and believe it and obey it are continuing to walk in or live the Christian life day by day. It is a fellowship, a relationship that produces great joy. It produces great joy because it talks about an inheritance which we will receive over there. You see, the wonderful relationship which we have now with God will lead us to eternal relationship over there with God forever and ever. And what was lost in that garden will be regained as we find ourselves over there with that greater inheritance and we come closer and closer to God. That word joy, I think, ought to be emphasized. I'll turn to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's the idea of joy. Why? Rejoice in the Lord always, that God is with us, that God has partnered with us, and that we are in relationship with God as His children. But that's not all with this matter of fellowship. We not only have the fellowship, and we have the joy. But this fellowship is that we may not sin. And there's a real benefit for us in being close to God and being close to His Word. And to this, he makes mention of the matter in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, verse 2. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this fellowship and relationship that we have is there available to us so that we will not sin. God does not want us to sin. But God knows that sometimes we freely choose to sin. And two words come up in this text I want to make sure that I understand. One is propitiation, verse 2. Now, how many times have you used that word this past week? Chances are no one's ever used the word propitiation. It is a Bible word. But it's one that really has a very common meaning, and that is God has covered the sin. God has made propitiation. It's another Bible way of saying God has forgiven the sin. The fellowship that we have with God and with each other is designed to keep us from sin. Now, if anyone sins, know that you have propitiation. There is covering for sin. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It would be presumptuous of me indeed to say that I have no sin, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But the Bible also makes very clear when it happens, and God knows that it will. There's no need for, to allow that to disrupt the wonderful relationship that I have with God. I have Jesus Christ, who is the covering, the propitiation for my sin. Paying the debt of sin, satisfying the justice of God. But there's another word in this text I don't want to miss. And that particular word found for us verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now the word advocate we might have used. Advocate is more of a modern term that we understand a little better. He's one that stands beside or he steps in and helps out. Or the advocate is the one who steps in and helps me out in this particular matter. And he says, now if anyone has sinned, I want you to know that there is an advocate, one that steps in and helps on the side of the sinner, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. The interesting thing about this advocate discussion, to me, is the fact that Christ is advocating, stepping in, in my behalf right now. Uh, Christ, the advocate, steps up for me at the very present. He's stepping up for you as you have this relationship and this fellowship with God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Now this discussion in Hebrews chapter 7 has always been an interesting thing for me. Uh, There he talks about Old Testament high priests and how that they had Old Testament high priests that were sort of the go-between between them and God in the Old Testament days. And the Old Testament high priests would be there for, you know, a long period of time, and they got to know the man, and they got to love the man. It was the, he was the man that they were there when they were born. He was the high priest when they offered their sacrifices. He was a high priest when they got married. He was a high priest when their brother or their sister, the mother or the father, passed away. And they began to form a great attachment to the high priest. But then he would die. And the Hebrew writer says, you know, then a new high priest would come in his place because the old high priest would die. And the people would wonder, will he love us like the old high priest did? Would he be concerned about us like the old high priest was? Will he be sensitive to our needs like the old high priest was? And they'd have to wonder about that. And then he makes his point. Here's his point in Hebrews 7. In the verse, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's his point? This high priest never dies. You don't have to worry about this high priest. You don't have to worry about the high priest dying and a new high priest coming to place, just like the Old Testament high priest was. This high priest never dies. And add to that the fact that this high priest ever lives to make intercession for his people, to stand in as their advocate. He constantly stands in and says before God the Father, This one belongs to you. This one has been obedient to the gospel. This one, 
I'm standing beside as his advocate because he's your child and he's faithfully living the Christian life. This is fellowship with God. This is relationship with God even though there are times when I sin. I receive forgiveness of my sins when I repent of my sins. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, he gives us a serious point to consider about this matter of sin. And some people might say that or think this. In verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's a passage you can read from your own Bible. 1 John chapter 1, the verses, verse 6. Now, if you're not going to live for Him, you're not going to be obedient to Him, if you're not going to walk in the light, but you think, well, He's my advocate anyway, you're sadly, sadly mistaken. There is no propitiation for your sin. There is no advocate for the sin. There is no relationship with God the Father. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin Verse 7. You ought to mark it in your Bible. 1 John chapter 1 and the verse is verse 7. As you live the Christian life day by day, that blood continues to cleanse and cleanse and cleanse. And I'm thankful for that sacrifice. He's the propitiation. He's the advocate. And the blood of that advocate is working for me in cleansing my soul and cleansing my soul. Am I perfect? No, I'm not. But I'm walking in the light. I'm doing the very best I can to live the Christian life, and when I make mistakes, I repent of them. And I pray for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'll just tell you how I go about this matter. I'm not going to let a day go by where I do not pray. Lord, please forgive me of my sins as I repent of them and do better. That's trying to walk in the light. I'm not going to let a day go by where I do not say in my prayers, please forgive me of my sins. I'm going to repent of them. And I'm going to change my way and I'm going to change my thinking. But I need your help and I need your strength that I'm going to repent of these sins And that blood cleanses and cleanses and cleanses me of sin because I've been obedient to the gospel, because I'm walking in the light, because I have this fellowship. What a joy it is to have this fellowship. And even though I commit sin from time to time, I can receive the forgiveness of sin and maintain the fellowship because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something else that goes through my mind. I'm sitting down there on that front seat and that plate's passed and I'm taking that bread and I'm thinking about the body of Christ. 
And that cup, that fruit of the vine goes by me and I'm taking of that fruit of the vine and I'm thinking of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking of the blood that cleanses and cleanses and cleanses me of my sins, the propitiation, Jesus Christ, the advocate, Jesus Christ, that I can have forgiveness of my sins. And I'm thinking about that. Jesus, God, forgive me of my sins because I repent of those sins. I've obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ, and I'm trying to live it every day. I'm trying to walk the Christian walk of life and live the kind of life that God has given me, and I renew that every time I take that bread and drink that cup. And I think about that. I'm going to be a better Christian. Lord, please forgive me of my sins because I am thinking of your great sacrifice on that cross as my propitiation and my advocate. Thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice so that I can have fellowship with you and with God. He gives us another point here. I'm in 1 John today, studying out of the New Testament. And in 1 John, I'm talking about the matter of fellowship, as John does. And one of the things John brings up is this matter of error. To have fellowship with God and to have fellowship one with another, we've got to separate ourselves from error. And we cannot allow error to take us off the path. And that's the point of the problem. There's always somebody, always some idea, something coming up that wants to get me off the path of fellowship that wants to get me off the direction of being in fellowship with God and in fellowship with the body of Christ and off onto something else. And I must always guard myself against it. And that's what he makes mention of here in this passage, chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Let me read it for you. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So you're not going to have fellowship there. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Stay in it. Abide in it. Don't fall away from the path. Don't chase after some error. The error is being set before you so as to get you to chase another path, and go another way. But that way leads to destruction. That way leads to death. Now, I think specifically what John's referring to in this particular matter is the ancient false doctrine that would evolve later in the second and the third Christian century, known today as Gnosticism, an ancient heresy. And we're not in the purpose of trying to ferret out all of the ins and outs of Gnosticism and this ancient heretical system, which certainly was a problem in the first century. The seeds of it were there and really develops in a full-blown heretical system in the second and the third century. So it's really not our purpose to try to understand all the tenets of this false doctrine, though I always love to talk about these matters so as to understand them better. Our point in this instance is to understand. Don't chase after any false way. Don't care what the name of it is, whether it's Gnosticism or Calvinism 
or dispensational premillennialism or whatever the ism it might be, don't chase it. Because when you do, you're going to lose the fellowship with God. It's not going to lead you to God. It's going to lead you away from God. And as I said a moment ago, there's always something coming up like that. There's always something that comes up that wants to uh, take my time and my attention and my focus away from the wonderful fellowship I have in Christ Jesus and try to divert it away to a different path and make me go the wrong way and lose the wonderful blessing that I have as a child of God. And I've got to be very careful not to allow that to take place in my life. Somebody comes along and says to me, Brother Laws, I don't want to study about these religious errors. All I want to do is talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about all the this and all the that. Because all I want to do is see what Jesus said. And all I want to do is follow Jesus and show my love for Jesus. And I have to commend an individual for part of that. A person who wants to love Jesus and follow the teaching of Jesus would have to commend and admire But did you know that every book of the New Testament, with the exception of one, addresses error and refutes it? The one that doesn't is the book of Philemon, a one-chapter book. Every book in the New Testament addresses some kind of error, some kind of position that's out of sync with the will of God and addresses that matter and refutes it and tells us what our attitude ought to be with regard to that matter. Do you know why? Because something is always coming up that wants to destroy my fellowship with God. Something is always coming in there that wants to deter me and take my focus away from Christ and away from God and the wonderful relationship that I have in Christ Jesus. And I cannot allow that to happen. And every New Testament book tells us, now you've got to watch out for that right there. Don't go that way. Now you be, be careful of this right here because this idea is coming up and don't chase after that. And the person who says, I don't want to study these errors. I don't want to study these doctrinal matters. Is a person who doesn't want to study most of the New Testament. Because that's what it's really all about my fellowship with God, and maintaining it. And the Bible is telling me I can lose it if I'm not very, very careful. I cannot allow that error to come into my life. There's a fifth point, and you all probably were thinking he'll never get through five points this briefly on Sunday morning. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, he has this particular statement, and I wrote it down as assurance. That's the word I want to remember. The passage is this, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, that smacks of the Gnostic error. He's refuting the Gnostic error. The Gnostic error was the idea only certain ones have the special knowledge that they can be saved. And the knowledge is even more important than obedience. And God gives only certain 
this special kind of knowledge to certain ones. And you got to be the certain ones in order to be pleasing in the sight of God. He says, everybody, everybody can know. You see the word know? Everybody can know that they have eternal life. They have it in prospect. They have it in a future sense. I have it in an accommodative sense. I don't have eternal life right now. I'm going to have it. And I have it in faith and confidence and in hope. I have the hope of eternal life, Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. He's telling me, you can be assured that you're going to go to heaven and receive the blessings of God and the inheritance that God has in store for you. That's what this fellowship means. It means assurance. And when I've been obedient to the gospel of Christ and I continue to live the Christian walk of life, I can be assured that I have this eternal life. So let's think about it for a minute in a practical way. Let's give ourselves a little test. Can you have this assurance? Do you have it? Well, in a practical way, by means of application, let's test ourselves. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, here's the first test. By this we know that we, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Now that verse in 1 John chapter 5, the verse, verse 2. Here's the test of whether I have assurance or not. Have you obeyed the commandments of God? The commandments of God are repent of sin, Luke 13, 3, and confess faith in Christ, Romans 10. There in turn, the Bible's telling me to, by obedient faith, be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Have I been obedient to the commands of Christ? Tells me further to live the Christian life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Yet let my body be a living sacrifice to God. Let me use my hands for the helping of those who are in need. My feet for the carrying of the gospel of Christ. My voice for the teaching of the word of God to others. My ears to hear the teaching of the word of God. Letting my body be a living sacrifice for God himself. Have I obeyed the commands of God? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7 and 21. The first test as to whether I have assurance or not is to whether I've been obedient to the commands of God. Are there any other tests that are given with regard to fellowship? Turn with me, 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at the second test. Found for us, verse 9, 10. I'll read verse 11. 1 John 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's a test. It's a test of fellowship. It's a test whether I know that I have eternal life or not whether I know that I have the assurance that comes with this wonderful fellowship. What about your brother? Do you have that kind of attitude about your brother where you hate your brother? You can't stand the individual? Passively indifferent toward the needs of others? Or do you truly, in an agape sense, love the other individual and want the best for them and act in such a fashion so as to bring it about? 
It's a matter of test of fellowship and assurance, isn't it? It's a second test. First test, whether I obey the gospel of Christ and obey the commands of God. The second one is whether I have love for my brother or not. Do I really love my brother? If I sit there and say, well, I, I just don't care for people, I don't love people, and that kind of thing. Do you really have the fellowship and the assurance of eternal life when you have that kind of attitude about you? There's a third test. This is a powerful test. You and I better pay particular attention to this. I'm in 1 John chapter 2. It's the third test as to whether I really am having this relationship with God. Notice verse 15. It's a tough one. First test was hard. Second test might even be harder, loving our brothers. But this third one, it's a tough test. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you pass the test? As to whether you're in fellowship with God or not? Do you love the world? You have such affection and love for the things of this world, the ideas of this world, the material possessions of this world, that you love the world more than you love anything else. You love the world more than you love God. And some people go after the world in such a fashion. It's very clear that they have that kind of affection. He says that's a test as to whether we're really in fellowship with God or not, whether we really have this assurance or not. Do we love the world that much? Don't love the world. The world's passing away. It's going to be gone. We're going to be gone before you know it. When I was a boy, it seemed like a Sunday afternoon lasted two or three days. Now Sunday afternoon is here. Now it's gone again. And now we're on to the next day. It goes by. Our lives go that way. The world goes that way. It's passing away. Don't love the world. It's a tough test. For a people who live in an affluent society... There's a temptation to love this old world. Don't fail that test. Got a fourth test here in the book of John. I'm studying 1 John today. In 1 John chapter 3, I've got a fourth test. It's a tough test as to whether I'm in the faith or not, whether I've got fellowship with God or not. Found for us in verse 8. I'll read 8, 9, and 10 for brevity's sake. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. If your life's involved in sin, you don't have this relationship. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now see, it's a test. It helps me understand whether I really have complied with the Word of God and am in relationship with God. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's a test. Did you pass it or not? I can't tell you whether you passed it or not. 
I can only evaluate myself to see whether I passed it or not. To look at the wonderful Word of God and see, am I in fellowship with God? And God is specific. Have you done this? Have you thought about that? Have you looked at this particular matter? You love this old world more than you ought to? Maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made so that you can be in fellowship with God. Here's another verse. It's not a test. It's sort of a motivational passage to help us along the way here. And anything that will help me pass the test and do what God's told me to do, I want that and need that, is found for us, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You ought to read carefully and study precisely. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And notice what he's saying in that regard. Think about and then do what God has told us to do in order to enjoy the wonderful fellowship that God wants us to have with us. And He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. He sent His Son so that we can be in fellowship with Him. It is now up to us to decide Will I be obedient to the gospel? Will I live the gospel message? Will I say no to the ways of this world and become a child of God by repenting of my sins and confessing my faith and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins? And I pray that you will. And by living it day by day, and I pray you do it now and enjoy the fellowship that means so much to us and that will lead us to heaven. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.